Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. After a week off, we almost went another week without a pod, but um, I'm here. Um, I had a couple cancellations last week. They also canceled this week, so uh, scrambled last minute, and my good friend Dan Williamson uh, agreed to come on. I was going to do a solo pod, but I figured Dan... Uh, Dan, Dan is a, a lot better than you all being forced to listen to me babble about my own thoughts for about 40 minutes. So we're going to be thankful that Dan was able to step in. A little bit, we were just talking before the show started about how when you do this every week, it's kind of at times hard to come up with a subject. So when people cancel, you're like, oh boy, what am I going to do now? But um, I, I really enjoy doing this. Uh, we're under a bit of a thunderstorm alert. I, my area, I lose power a lot, and we're in the middle of a thunderstorm. It's just starting. So uh, I guess we should get to this. But first, um, we are sponsored by Fanball. Fanball, where you have more states eligible to play this year, more options, lots of new drafts, new ways to play, and more fun. So, Dan, welcome to the show, uh, sponsored by uh, by Fanball, Dan. Oh, thanks, Todd. Always a pleasure to talk a little bit of best ball with you. So I'm I'm excited to uh, delve into a few things that, were, that you've got lined up here. Yep. Uh, we'll start off by talking about <coughs> tweeting about MFLs is fun. Every once in a while, you know, I do get an epiphany and – a lot of the smart guys, smart players in MFLs do also. And often we don't keep them to ourselves, Dan. We're not that smart. We're smart enough to have a good idea, but we're not smart enough to keep them to ourselves. And we tweet it out, Dan. Um, so I thought we would do an episode both on tweeting in general and following other smart people who tweet and gaining an advantage that way, also some things to look out for. And last but not least, um, we'll, we'll go through some of my recent tweets and we'll discuss them. So uh, give, give me your love-hate relationship with the Twitter box, Dan. You know, uh, I think if you don't spend some time on Twitter, you're going to be behind the eight ball. I mean, I I think there's just enough stuff going on out there and uh, a lot of very, very smart people out tweeting and just so many ideas getting tossed around. I mean, you know, it's just really Twitter is the marketplace of ideas. And, um, you know, a, a big part of it is developing the right P2 
people to follow and, uh, you know, culling your list every now and then so that you can keep things pretty well focused on, on uh, football or your, you know, the particular kinds of fantasy football that you play. But, um, yeah, you, you know, there's just so many great ideas out there, and it's, it's so much more helpful to engage and, um, you know, when you see somebody who's got an idea and it intrigues you, you know, the best thing to do is to, to respond to that tweet and get into a discussion about it. And sometimes other people will join in and you'll get different uh, perspectives. But, you know, the main thing is to just get talking about it because you'll learn so much more when you're actually active rather than just kind of lurking on Twitter. And, um, you know, when you have ideas, just throw them out there and, uh, and, and see what people say, see how people respond. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I learn a ton just by that interaction. Yep, and <clears throat> I would agree. Um, I think, you know, besides following really good best ball players, you should be following some of the beat writers on Twitter because they can break news, they can write articles. There's also some things, Dan, that we have to watch when we, um, when on the Twitter box. Um, I know for myself, my first two years, it's really easy to, to because we do respect so many pl- uh, people and what they think, it's really easy to be pushed off of your thoughts by someone who's really negative about one of your guys or your ideas. And it's also really easy to be pushed onto a player that you really don't like. Um, have you had much experience with that too? I have some. Uh, you know, I I find it really helpful to just think about it in terms of you know I like to to leave myself really open to other people's ideas and what they have to say because I think um, you know if you get too close-minded and too certain that you're right. Uh, that's that's the world's easiest way to fail, is to always assume you're right and everybody else is wrong. But uh, about the second easiest way to fail, as you said, is to n- not hold any of your own opinions strongly enough and to be just kind of pushed around by the tides or pushed around by the breeze on Twitter as to uh, what's going on. I mean, you know, there's there's a there's an echo chamber out there, and all of a sudden people will start talking about one player and 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 his ADP is going to rise by three rounds, and you really need to decide, you know, is that justified or, you know, am I just chasing, you know, people who are hyping him up? You know, that is a great point, and that's exactly what I've started doing last year and this year. Um, <clears throat> I get I get really excited when the crowd gets excited because it's an opportunity for me to go the other way. Once in a while, I'll be disappointed because there'll be a guy that I'm really high on and someone will tweet about him or Roto World will have a blurb about him and all of a sudden he's not, uh, he's not a value anymore. Um, but, you know, I'll compare it to this. You know, I've struggled with my weight most of my life and where other things that I've been able to quit, just cold turkey, cigarettes, when I wanted to quit drinking, I was able to quit. Eventually, I quit doing drugs. I cold turkeyed. You can't cold turkey food. And very similarly, you can't cold turkey other people's ideas um, because, again, like you said, you don't want to isolate yourself so much that you're missing out on really good points because as smart as all of us think we are, the, you know, we don't. there's just no way to get everything. But at the same time, 
you know, so I guess what I'm saying, much like food, if you've got an eating problem, you know, you've got to learn to balance listening and come up with some techniques that can help you to process information. Yeah, exactly. You know, and one of the things I try to do is I try to, you know, if, if somebody's saying something about a particular player and, you know, it's completely different than what I've been thinking, I the first thing I want to do is I want to think about how plausible is their scenario. You know, maybe they're saying, um, you know, that because of better wide receivers, this quarterback is going to improve. Um you know, and I thought that maybe that quarterback was not going to do as well because of a change in coaching scheme. You know, so then we have to balance out, you know, okay, well, he does have better receivers, but the coaching scheme that he's in is going to favor the run a little bit more. So, you know, where do we end up? Yeah, I think that's the key, and that's what um, I've been doing more and more is, like, I have my thoughts on players for a reason, and so when when new information comes in, I consider how plausible it is, and I'll just go through all the factors that I'm considering. And, you know, look, every once in a while, someone's just going to get lucky, right? They're, they're going to yep. be really high on a guy for all the wrong reasons, and the guy's going to hit anyway, right? I mean, it's just the nature of the NFL. <clears throat> but the process and having good process is important so what I've done is I just start slowing myself down. I don't try and come away from Twitter with a resolution to an idea, um, but I, I just have something to think about and to go through. Um, and, you know, you also have to be humble. I mean, like <clears throat> I, uh, I made a post today, and we'll go over it, about the San Diego wide receivers and stacking them. And someone said, well, what about Travis Benjamin? And I was like, you know what? He's right. Tra- you know, it's, I, I wish it was a completely, you know, one of those two guys is going to kill it most weeks or at least have a, a, you know, a decent shot at killing it. But Benjamin is there. So, you know, and how is that going to affect my exposure and my line of construction? Because basically – I think right now with ADP on fanball, a lot of that built-in advantage is gone. So how you play the second half of the draft based on what you expect to be there, I think is a skill. Um, so when I, when I hear people's thoughts, I just start rummaging around in my brain. You know, how is this not only going to affect my thoughts on this player, but my draft strategy, and by the time I'm done thinking of all that, I'm less hasty than I might have been a couple years ago, just to jump on board, or the opposite, just to completely write off someone's idea because it's not convenient for me. You know, the whole Benjamin thing, that wasn't convenient for my argument, but they were right. So I've learned to be better both at considering, you know, but also just not blowing off things just because they're inconvenient. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's very important to do, and um, you know, and that's a great example. And it's it's you know that's one of those examples too where there's a little bit of a shade of nuance, I think, too, because Benjamin is a guy who 
you know, they're paying them about $7 million a year. So you have to assume if they don't cut them, they're going to use them. So you know they're going to use Keenan Allen. You know they're going to use Benjamin. And then they've got two more guys, Williams and Williams. And, uh, you know, the odds are they're probably going to be using both Williams fairly often. But Mike Williams is either going to kind of put it together this year or he's not. And if he doesn't put it together, then, you know, Tyrell Williams is probably the one who's going to benefit the most from it. So, you know, in, in a sense, even though there's Travis Benjamin in there, you've still got Williams and Williams who are going to, you know, really kind of probably be trading off some opportunity. Yeah, and that's why I, you know, that was the first tweet we'll discuss. I'll read exactly what I tweeted. <clears throat> I tweeted, I think you could do worse than drafting Terrell and Mike Williams together once in a while. Key part right there. One of yeah. them likely has a big year, and the other should be okay. Fifth, sixth wide receiver on your team, I would be comfortable getting one good game a week out of one of them 80% of the time. So I thought about it at the time, and I said, "That's." I think, you know, with Hunter Henry gone, you're going to, you know, even with Benjamin there, they're not. There's no other tight end they're going to throw a ton to. So you've got four receivers, and you, you know, and and probably on any given week, two or three of them are going to hit value. So Benjamin's more of a hit or miss, boom bust kind of guy. Uh, right. Mike Williams, what I like about him is his, he, he, you know, with his size, he could replace some of uh, Gates and Henry's red zone usage. And Terrell is one of those guys who we saw put it all together a couple years ago when Keenan Allen was down. So my feeling is, you know, again, I'm not doing it all the time, but 13th and 14th round, if I find that I like Mike Williams or I like Tyrell and, and, and I get the first half, if I come back around in the 14th round and the other guy's there, I feel like the hope – I. I Okay, let me back up one second, because stack cuffing to me was originally about running back. I didn't do it at all with wide receiver last year. But it just kind of came to me that this is an opportunity because I think reasonably you can expect both Tyrell and Mike to pay off their current ADP. And then if one or the other or Keenan Allen gets hurt, then you can crush it. And that's when I like to stack cuff. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, and that's an important thing is it, you know, it, it, stack cuffing really works if at least one of the receivers has to be pretty late, like, you know, definitely later than the 14th round and preferably later than like the 16th round. Uh, because then what you're getting is a player who's, you know, really almost free. Uh, your expectations for them are already very, very low. So they don't need to do more than, you know, score for you like three or four weeks three and weeks you've already gotten value exactly and and, and then, then the other yeah. thing to, go ahead and but the other thing to really consider when stack cuffing you know to me it's not about how late per se it's about floor right right you know if if i feel that both guys should be able to hit their floor reasonably where i'm drafting them and yes. one or the other goes. So that's what I look for. I want to. I want to say if nothing happens at the end, if you know, if, key, if all four of them stay healthy, am I going to be happy that I did this at the end of the year? 
And that's why I said about 80%, I think I will. Right. Yeah, and that's, you know, the that's other thing when I is, like doing it. Yeah, and the other thing I like is, um, you know, trying to hit those those situations where they, uh, you know, they might kind of ping pong the bigger weeks back and forth between them. Exactly. And, and that'll be you know, fine, too. That's yeah, what I mean by Yeah, because then basically you've spent two very low or very late picks, and, you know, basically you've cobbled together one receiver that's actually quite good. Yep. The other situation that I did tweet about, I don't like it quite as much. I've done it once, but I think it's viable as well as Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin. Um, The reason I don't like it quite as much is because, you know, last year Chris Godwin didn't hit his ADP value. In other words, he needs to improve on last year to pay off his ADP. So, I'm I'm less confident in the floor there, but I do think one of those two guys is going to have a really good year. So again, if I can get them both in the for the fifth, sixth, it's it's a stack up I'm considering. Do you agree that it's viable, and do you also agree that it's not quite as good as the other one? Yeah, I agree on both on both counts there. I think um, you know it it is viable, but. With uh, Tampa, you've got a few other factors in there. You know, you've got two tight ends. You've got Mike Evans. Um, you know, you've you've got a coach that wants to run the ball more. Uh, you know, so there's there's kind of a lot of things at play there. You know, to me, basically, it's a it's a little bit of a hedging your bets on. You know, Djax is 32 years old, and uh, you know he he might fall off the cliff at any time. And, uh, you know, Godwin definitely flashed and definitely looked good in the opportunities that he got last year. And if he's given more of those opportunities, then, you know, it's wheels up for Godwin. Yeah, I agree. Um, The thing that's interesting about Djax is um, people still, you know, I find that people still feel that he's the Djax when he was younger. I looked at the numbers, and he has not had those big play, big weeks, you know, like when you think of D-Jax five, six years ago, you thought, man, this is the perfect best ball wide receiver because I don't have to pick when I'm going to, you know, when I'm going to start him and when yep. he's going to go off. Um, if you look at the scoring over the last couple years, uh, D-Jax has been much more of a steady but not that impressive guy. And right. uh, I, I, I think that's another point to, to bring up. Um, if you're still drafting Djax, thinking you're getting wow, what a great value! Djax in the 13th, or Djax in the 11th or the 12th, um, I just don't think he's that same player anymore. I mean, he still has the speed. Uh, part of it is Winston doesn't have a great deep arm. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, thoughts on Djax? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, you know, for the last two years. Even prior to this year, I, I would kind of snicker to myself when somebody would throw out Djax as, oh, he's the perfect uh, best ball wide receiver. He'll get you 25 or he'll get you five. And I, I was looking at his actual scoring, and I was going, well, no, that's not really true anymore. That was once true, but it's not anymore. And, yep. um, he, he had you know, two, so it, oh. so, sorry. He had two yep. in 16, 
Let me give you 15, and then you can finish your thought. Okay? Uh, last year, he had an 18.4 game, and that was his highest. Yep. So he was the 41st wide receiver, and he had one 18-point game. And uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight out of 16 were 10 or better, which is which is fine for his ADP. Uh, right. But it's okay. But he's not who he used to be. Right, exactly. What 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 Djax has kind of secretly done is he's sort of turned into a floor guy for you. That uh, you know, he's he a lot of weeks he'll he'll put that ten point floor on your wide receiver scoring. You know that you know, you'll you'll likely get ten if Djax is on your team. Yep, absolutely. Um so then uh let's talk about the other tweet that I made today that um was about Tampa Bay, and it was, it wouldn't shock me if DeMarco Murray ends up in Tampa. Um, and it, it, it's more of a bigger point about De, where DeMarco's going to end up. It wouldn't yep. shock me, doesn't mean I think he's going to go there. But when you, let, let's say Ronald Jones, if they get him in camp and they don't think he's ready for prime time and Peyton Barber is meh, I mean, I think that Dirk Cutter guy is just the type of guy who would love. Uh, you know, a safe wide receiver to pick up, I mean, running back to pick up the blitz and do everything that, you know, to keep Winston. Whoa. Yeah. You there? Yeah, I'm here. That was a little bit of a uh, lightning bolt. Sorry. Um, So, (laughs) dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to bury Todd. Feel in the electricity. (laughs) <laughs> this podcast is on fire. So, um, yeah, I mean, Indianapolis is another one. My bigger point was, look, don't go crazy in, on some of these running backs in situations where DeMarco might show up because you'll be disappointed if you have 25% Jones and you're paying fifth round and all of a sudden DeMarco shows up. Um, I, I understand trying to get leverage. I'm already not on the rookie running backs like I was the last last year. Uh, I I just don't you know other the the few I really liked didn't end up in the great spots, and the few that I didn't really love ended up in the great spots like Jones. So um, I would just uh, word of caution was that was what that tweet was about. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you're as you're thinking about that, it's important to realize, you know, at the end of the day, DeMarco Murray can only go to one team. So, you know, we might think about six or seven teams where he might show up, um, but that's not going to scare me off of drafting anyone from those teams. What it is going to do is it's going to scare me off of getting too heavy on any running back from those teams. You know, I don't I don't want uh to be I don't I don't want to be super heavy on um, you know, for example, Ronald Jones and then boom, DeMarco does end up in, in Tampa. Uh, you know, but I don't mind having some Ronald Jones, I don't mind having some Marlon Mack, you know, and players like that where I think, oh yeah, well, uh DeMarco might show up here, but he might not. So Exactly. That's exactly right. I, I don't have a lot of Ronald Jones. I don't have a lot of Mac. 
for a, a couple weeks I was drafting a ton of Heinz up until the Jordan Wilkins hype got to me a little bit and speaking about how Twitter can can get to you. Um, but I, I think, you know, now we have heard another blurb about Hines being part of the offense. I think he's one of those Swiss Army knife type of players that is going to get his and, and be a good profile, and you get this him in the 13th, 14th round. If you can get, you know, again, four, four to five, you know, blow-up weeks or even three to four, you know, 10 to 15-point weeks, and you throw in a 20 or two for Hines, and, you know, he, you're going to be really glad you took that guy. Um, so in situations like that, my default tends to be to have more of the late-round guy who could win the job, kind of like Burkhead last year, uh, rather than the guy that everyone is, is – you know, look at Joe last year. He was getting drafted right where Royce Freeman and um, Ronald Jones are dra- getting drafted this year. You know, he could have been great, but he wasn't, and Burkhead was. So uh, that's how I like to play him. Yeah, and with, you know, with the rookies, I, I do pay attention to the draft capital. Um, I also pay attention a little bit to, you know, who moved up to get what players and so forth. Um, you know, so I'm 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 not opposed to drafting some of the rookies, and um, some of them are, I think, appropriately priced. Some of them, I think, are uh you know verging on overpriced uh you know like i would i love nick chubb's talent but in cleveland with you know having to you know we were going to presume that hyde is going to be there i mean he could get traded but you know it's tough to presume a trade and then you still got duke johnson you know i just don't know where his points are going to come from and you know people are drafting him in the you know sixth seventh you know maybe eighth round and, you know, I'm just not comfortable taking him before about the ninth or so. Yep. I had more Chubb than any rookie running back before the draft. And when the Browns, you know, I was so mad when Seattle <laughs> traded up for Penny and not for Chubb because I think Chubb's the better running back. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I I'm, right. not mis, I'm not Mr. Running Back, but, uh, you know, Mr. Rookie Tape Watcher, you know, I watched some, but to me, I like Chubb a lot more than Penny, and, um, you know, I lost the lottery on that one. Uh, but right now, I, I can't draft any of those Cleveland guys at ADP, not even Duke. Yeah, Duke's yeah. been dropping a little bit lately. I mean, I think I took a share in the eighth round. I, I'm okay with that. I think he'll, you know, but you got to also remember Landry's there and Gordon and Coleman and, 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 and Callaway. There's, there's a lot, a lot of weapons and right. Tyrod Taylor is you know he profiles as a good deep ball thrower so you know yeah they called a lot of screens for McCoy with Tyrod but that was first and second round uh first and second down with a team that had no other receiving option um when they had Watkins I mean they were throwing the ball deep to Watkins and and it worked so uh, yeah, Cleveland absolutely. is, uh, you know, I, I just can't draft any of them right now. I draft yes. them when they're down, like a round or two. I took a hide in the eighth, I think. I haven't yep. taken Chubb since the draft, though. I don't think. I, I found him in the ninth round a couple times, and I've I've taken a swing on him there. But yeah, most of the most of the time, I'm just kind of, you know, I I just look at Cleveland and I see 
a lot of murkiness. And, um, you know, some teams that murkiness works to your advantage because nobody's sure, and so they don't really draft either player or they draft them late. With Cleveland, it seems like the murkiness is working the opposite way. Everybody is just getting irrationally excited about, you know, the guy that they like the best or the two guys that they like the best. So it's like the murkiness is actually pushing Browns players up rather than down. You know, and I, I, I keep thinking to myself, how, how are we doing this when we're talking about a team that's coached by Hugh Jackson? Well, you know, Hugh, Hugh's been a good offensive coordinator, and so that's he the has. other bit of murkiness. You know, Todd Haley's been brought in, and, you know, some people think he's like one of those Messiah offensive coordinators. I'm not sure I agree, um, even though, you know, look, he can be really good for some, uh, you know, some people. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. So, uh yeah, it really is. And with, with the rookies, you know, one of the things that you want to do, you know, if the reason why I like drafting before the NFL draft is because you can speculate on the rookies to an extent that's just not possible, um, you know, on other time, on other parts of the season. And uh, one of the things that I think is really important if you're going to be a good best ball player is if you either play Dynasty or else follow some Dynasty guys on Twitter because they're going to let you know who all the really talented uh, rookies coming out are. And talent and hype often go hand-in-hand, but not entirely hand-in-hand. Like uh, Royce Freeman, there wasn't a lot of hype on him. And uh, on Johnson, there wasn't a lot of hype on him. And so I was getting those two running backs ridiculously cheap knowing that, you know what, when uh, when the NFL draft happens, they're likely to be drafted right around where all of the more hyped running backs are getting drafted, and I'm going to be able to, you know, kind of turn a, a quick profit as far as at least, you know, draft capital goes. I mean, we'll see when the season starts whether I actually turn a profit or not. But, you know, anytime you can get somebody significantly cheaper, now, then you'll be able to get them later. Then you want to load up if you think there's a chance at all that they're good. The, the other thing I mentioned on Mike, Beer, Mike Beer's uh, Best Ball Command Center today is don't make the mistake. You know, I missed out on Penny, and I missed out on Freeman before the draft. I'm not going to acerbate that problem by taking a ton of Penny, who I don't believe in, in the fourth round. Now, have I taken a couple shares? I have. Um, have I taken one or two shares of Freeman? That's about it. Um, I'm, I'm still taking more Booker than Freeman. Um, but my point is that don't acerbate one problem. I mean, uh, you know, don't try and make up for missing on these guys by overpaying for them now. And the last point we'll talk about on the rookies, uh, the rookie running backs, is you have to factor in the fact that because two uh, years in a row the running backs, and especially the rookie running backs, have been golden, it has led all these rookie running backs to be, not overvalued, but a lot of them are really at the top of their value. People are assuming that Freeman's going to be the guy. 
even though the coach said Booker's going to be there too. And, and I like D'Angelo Henderson as well. Um, you know, Penny is a different story because Carroll's been pushing him so hard. But um, you, you just got to be careful. And the, the point that I wanted to make, which was, um, you know, I started doing some zero running back drafts. And I think I left it out of the article, but oh no, I didn't. Uh, here's yep, what I wrote. I'm finding myself in drafts where I don't get a top four pick doing some zero running back drafts currently. I come out with four really good wide receivers and once in a while a tight end. And there is a nest of very reasonable options at running back in rounds five to nine where I can get three decent running backs. Um, and the key point here for me, Dan, is, I don't chase zero running back, but if I'm up in the first round and my choice is Hunt or Fournette or Beckham or Hopkins, I'm taking Hopkins. If Hopkins is gone, I'm taking Beckham most of the time. And same thing in the second round. I'm going to take Keenan Allen over some of the other guys running backs there, Christian McCaffrey. Um, And then in the third round, you know, there's just not a lot of running backs I like in the third round. So uh, I can be three, four wide receivers deep just by being disciplined and not overpaying for running back. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what you want to be doing. You want to let the draft come to you. You know, really for me, the first five rounds are all about. I just want to get as many touches, targets, whatever. Um, I, I I just want my players to be handling the ball a lot and. Whoever I can find. So you, you like know, guys I, who handle balls? Yes, that's, that's what we're coming down to. Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> but um, you know, I I'm not particularly concerned. Not that there's anything position. wrong with it. Exactly. You know, which is why I like quarterbacks because they handle the ball on every play. Yes. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. Complete trick. So anyway, but hold, um, hold, but hold, you know hold, I had a hold, I had to draft. Hold on. Okay. Oh. There you go. <laughs> I didn't want you. you to have cricket. <laughs> Much better. Yeah. You know, but I did I did a draft um, that I finished up not too long ago where I started out I was in the tenth uh, position. And I started out with Kareem Hunt, and I didn't get back to running back until the eighth round with Marshawn Lynch. Um, and in between, I took Keenan Allen, Larry Fitzgerald, Stephon Diggs, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Sammy Watkins, Kyle Rudolph, and then I got to Lynch. And just basically, every time it came to my turn, it, it seemed like there was a teardrop at running back that had just happened. And I wasn't going to chase it. And, you know, I think it's really, really important, especially in the early rounds, to not chase and to instead say, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the solid values. I'm going, to, I'm going to get the guys who are getting the touches, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to be reaching. And then, you know, I can figure out how to put the rest of the team together once I have those first four or five picks in. Yep, I agree. And... Um... You know, and that's something that I did uh, last year, and I had a couple winning teams. It was kind of pseudo um, 
zero running back, where I'll take yeah. one running back out of the first two rounds, and then right. all of a sudden I get to like the seventh, eighth round, and uh, like you said, then you started adding the rest of your running backs. I mean, you only need two good running backs every week. You, you, you know, it's a nice luxury if you can have three or four, but you only need two. And right. so if you can get, you know, like a David Johnson up front or a Bell, and, you know, it really, if you think about it, it takes a lot of pressure off you um, as far as, you know, resisting the urge to overpay at running back in a market where, you know, I think there's a very good chance at the end of the year we're going to look back and say the running back market was overvalued. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a great chance that that is the case too, and that's why I try to be pretty particular about, you know, when I'm taking my running backs and, and how much draft capital I'm putting into them. Last subject uh, for me, Dan, um, I tweeted I was really high on Richard Matthews last year and still have 14% of him this year, but Corey Davis is the guy who, if you're right, can win you a league. And like a lot of the tweets that I make, there's the easy thing that I'm thinking about, but then I'm always in the back of my mind, Dan, is archetypes, right? You know, and what, what I mean is, you know, why do I stack huff? I stack huff because running backs get injured. So if I can find two where they both can pay off the value where they are at and I get an injury like I did with Hunt and Ware last year, boom. You know, I'm I'm really to the good. Um, Corey Davis is that archet. You know, he's the type of guy. He was dre- he was you know considered the best wide receiver to come out since that Beckham class last year. He was injured, didn't play a lot. Uh, came out of a small school, really played well in the in the playoffs. Now they've got a new coaching staff, and he's a guy. And again, I actually only have 13 percent. I think of Corey Davis and 14 of Richard because Corey's going in a really tough spot where I like taking some tight ends. I like I, I'm you know I, I talked about how Brady and Newton you know are are there with value sometimes at quarterback, um, but Corey Davis is the type of guy who next year could be a first or second round pick in the in, in, in drafts, more likely a second round guy. Um, and this is our one chance, one last chance to get him in, you know, the sixth, seventh round. Sure, he might not be that type of guy, but there's a very good chance he is. And that was my bigger point. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's important to to keep in mind kind of your team construction up to that point, um, you know, rounds one through five, if you've already taken a couple chances, then you might not want to take that chance on Corey Davis. You might want to get, you know, a more, uh, you know, like a, a Chris Hogan or um, a Delaney Walker or, you know, Robert Woods or Emmanuel Sanders or somebody like that. I like Woods. Yeah. I like Woods. So, Woods, 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 uh, if I could, I surely would. <laughs> would you? I guess I would. I, I think you might. But anyway, you that's... Uh, about Corey Davis. My pun <laughs> completely <laughs> threw you off. <laughs> Corey Davis, yeah. So he's he's a guy who I, I classify as kind of, 
you know, a, a little bit high risk. You know, I, I see him in the sixth round, and I say, you know, this guy could perform like a second rounder, and he could perform like a 13th rounder or anywhere in between. And so, you know, that kind of enters my thinking a little bit as I'm as I'm starting to build my team. You know, once I get those first five rounds in, then I can take a look. You know, do I feel like I have a really safe team, you know, where I can start taking some chances and really go for the gusto? Or have I already taken one or two chances and I maybe need to, to think about my floor just a little bit here while I've still got some players who can provide me a solid floor and then get back to taking chances once we hit the later rounds? So yeah, you that's kind of how I go you, about it. And you mentioned a very good point. I tend to, if you know, a couple times this year I've Kenyon Drake or, you know, guys that I didn't love in the third, but for the most part, I'm pretty disciplined not to take guys in the first four rounds who are risky. Um, last year I avoided Brandon Cooks, um, you know, g- good or bad. You know, there's just certain guys that I don't, you know, I mean, I have a few Tyreek Hill shares this year. But I tend to, to, to really try and be disciplined and take, like you said, guys who I know are likely but I really feel like the fifth, you know, historically, for me in fantasy football, the fifth, sixth, seventh round is where you find your league winners, right? Because everyone knows they have talent, but they haven't done it yet. And that's where I see Corey Davis this year. That's why I'm, I, I take some Watkins shots. Uh, I yep. have a pretty good ownership on Watkins there. I mean, he's a guy who was a first and second round pick only a couple years ago. Uh, didn't look the same last year, but now he's in an offense with a quarterback who much more fits his profile than Jared Goff does. Um, and that's the last point that I'll make about uh, Corey Davis is, you know, he played for one of the most conservative coaches in the league last year. Now LaFleur comes over from the Rams. Um, yeah, there's other options there, but I, I still think and I still hear people talk about ground and pound. Uh, but the ground and pound guy is gone. So that to me is kind of the the tilter. That's the one that tilts it in my favor, I feel, in taking, you know, again, I don't think I'll end up with 20% Corey Davis, but I, I like him a good bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, you know, you just need to keep it within reason. And that's, you know, to me, that's the most important part of that uh, because there are several guys who are in that range where, you can say, well, this, you know, this guy could be a league winner for me. And, uh, you know, Devin Funchess, he's another one, you know, do you want to, do you want to listen to the narratives that says, you know, well, there's too much competition for targets now, or do you want to say, well, he really kind of broke out a little bit last year and uh, nobody's taking that seriously. Yeah. uh, I was joking, but I don't have any Funchess. I mean, I had a ton of him in the 17th, 18th, 16th last year. Um, this year, I, I just don't own the man. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like Olsen was out last year, and that yep. Benjamin, and he was like the only guy there, and, and still at times he was, you know, okay. So, yeah, he makes me itch a little bit, but other than that, um, I, I get your point. Um, I wanted to ask you if there's any situations that you think of that are in the similar realms uh, to the kind of things that I'm talking about before we get out of here. 
Okay. Yeah, well, we, we should probably go back, um, you know, a couple things on the wide receiver stack cuffing. Um, you know, I think there, there are some places where it does make sense. I think, um, you know, when you take a look at uh, Baltimore, for example, you've got John Brown and you've got Willie Sneed. And, you know, I think that both of them, you know, where they're going, which is basically 19th and 20th round, you know, they're, you would think that if, if they're healthy, they're going to return value. And uh, either of them has the opportunity to go significantly up from there. Uh, another one is uh, Alan Hearns and uh, Michael Gallup. I like you know, that one. An- that that one's another one where you can you can get them pretty late. Uh, Hearns is going often in like the you know thirteenth fourteenth round, and and Gallup is going even a little bit later than that generally. So you know it's a it's a good chance to put a couple receivers together, uh, you know, because you know somebody there is going to get wide receiver targets, and it's probably not going to be a lot of Terrence Williams. So, you know, who do you have left? Yeah, I've been giddy upping a little bit um, with some Gallup, and um, I think um, I don't have enough Hearns. Hearns is a guy I like, but he, I I just think of him as a, a very Injury prone guy who's had a lot of knee issues. Knee issue guy. Yeah, he can me... he can hamstring your team if you uh, get too heavy literally, on him. That's for sure. Yeah. Literally, I mean, he'll hammy you. He'll he'll knee you. He'll ankle you. Uh, the guy takes a lot of big hits. He's look. He's a. I, I I've always, you know, I, again, I can like a guy and still be underweight on him. Um, but someone is going to do something in Dallas. Um, I just thought of something while we were talking. Um, they didn't at the time, but if they get a look at all these guys in camp, I, it, I, I guess it won't happen. But, um, you know, how, how funny would it be if Dez ended up back there? <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, I mean, I, that, he's another guy, you know, while we're talking about it. And those were some good stack cuffs. Um, but, you know, Dez, I picked him up in the 11th round in the draft today. Yeah, and that's, that's you know, a point where you Dez have to. Bryant. Yeah, and that's a point where you have to say if he is on a team, he's going to return value at that point. And really your your main risk is just that, um, you know, he, he doesn't sign. And I think that's probably a pretty small risk. I would say that it's a risk. Um, it is a risk, you know, but, but it's one I'm willing to take up. You know, like let me see how much Desi I've got. Pull up my uh, my exposure tool, and uh, courtesy of Best Ball Command Center, give Mike another shout out because uh, he's got. I'm an pulling mine up too. I'm going to see where I'm at. You know. Uh, Dan and I both are part of Mike's uh, service, and let me tell you, if you plan on doing any kind of amount of best ball, I mean, just the conversation alone is worth it. Um, and he's also got these some of these amazing tools. Um, I got 12% of Des. Obviously, a lot of a minus 26 on my average discount. So obviously, I had a I was I was taking a good bit of Des in the. In the sixth round, I thought he was a good value then, 
um, I, you know, when I thought he was going to be back in Dallas. I, I, I just didn't believe they were going to cut him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was rather hard to believe. Yeah, I'm, as I'm looking at mine, I only have one uh, one share of does right now. That concerns yep. me. I need more. So yeah, I guess I, I'm I glad I've had... waited until the price dropped. But, <laughs> but well, I let's do look need up to get Jordy. some more does. Jordy's another one that, you know, now especially with Bryant, I've got 10% of Jordy and uh, a minus eight, but I expect that number to go up. I was taking Jordy um, in the fifth round. That's what's you know. I had a couple of shares in the fifth round when I fifth or sixth when uh, he was still in Green Bay. Yeah. And uh, but now with Martavis uh, possibly getting suspended, um, you know, and and Jordy's been hanging around the ninth, eighth, ninth round. I mean, every once in a while I'll see Jordy in the ninth, and I'll be like. I don't need a wide receiver right now, but I'm taking Jordy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly even weight on Jordy, and uh, I'm actually a little bit overweight on Martavis. But you know, we still have uh, months to go here, so uh, you know, by we the time we finish Martavis. up, I should be I, I should be underweight on Martavis if I. I have ten percent on uh, Martavis, so I, I'm I'm heading and you know I'm heading. Uh, I'm heading in a good direction. My my personal ADP on him is 126. So I was drafting him in the 11th. Yeah, yep, for sure. I, I'm, I'm sitting at 128, so I'm at almost exactly the same ADP as you are for my personal ADP. And that is that is one of the beauties of this, uh, this tool that uh, Beerswater has put together. And, you know, you can see exactly – uh, how good of a discount you've been getting on particular players. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today. Um, Dan, uh, thank you for stepping in. And uh, I think uh, definitely was the right decision not to go solo pod. And, uh, you know, another really great conversation with you. And um, I'm really glad that you uh, you were able to join me. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, Todd. It was uh, it was great talking, and as always, and uh, looking forward to doing a little bit more with you later on in the season. Thanks, Dan. Um, I haven't been doing much with the music lately, and uh, I've just kind of been obsessed by this song. So, uh, you know, we're Uh-oh. trying to get away with some things on uh, on MFL tens and drafts. So we're gonna we're gonna head out with "Getting Away with It" by James. Good night, everyone. There we go. If it clicks. Having a little bit of trouble. I can, I can fill time. Do you want me to sing? No, <laughs> you don't want me to sing. Are you waking for the cr-
lots to live in. 